On this episode of Blue 58, it's time for Brian Gutekunst to make some tough calls. He's got one preseason game left, and then it's time for the big cutdown. Who stays? Who goes? Will anybody come in from another team? Soon all that will be answered, but first the new Packers GM has to sort out four tough position groups. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. I'm excited to be with you here once again. I'm excited for this week. Um, it's an interesting week. It's one of the more interesting single weeks, single stretches of, I guess, the entire football season. It's really the reverse NFL draft. Instead of teams adding a bunch of people to their roster, they're going to be kicking a bunch of people off of their roster. And we get to sort through all of that over the next few days. One more preseason game, then all that stands between us and the start of the regular season is just one very, very difficult weekend for NFL personnel groups all across the league. We're about to learn a lot about Brian Gutekunst. He has to make 37 big decisions. You could even say 47 if you want to cut the or count the amount of cuts he's got to make. Then the players he has to add back to the practice squad. And then if you want to include stuff about navigating suspensions and things like that, there could be even more stuff in there. He's got a lot of work to do. It's going to be a busy, busy weekend for Brian Gutekunst. It's sort of a departure for Gutekunst, at least as far as his general manager tenure has played out so far. Because other than the draft, we haven't really seen a situation where Gutekunst has to make a lot of decisions in a short amount of time. Uh, About, well, no, longer than a month ago, uh, almost three months ago now, we talked about the 15 biggest moves of the Brian Gutekunst era. And each of them, as you go through the list, way back in episode number 84, uh, pretty much all of them are things that you could sit down and think about and work through. He cuts Jordy Nelson. He decides not to re-sign Morgan Burnett. He brings in Jimmy Graham. He trades Demarius Randall for Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, it's a lot of these decisions. You can see the architecture there is being pretty complex. There's no spur of the moment things. There's no we got to get down to a certain amount of players by a particular time. They, at many cases here, there are days or weeks even months between decisions. And it's hard to really see the character of a general manager until you see him execute his philosophy in a really short amount of time. We got a glimpse of that through the draft, as I said. But now we get to see it on a bigger scale. We're about to learn a few things. First, can Gutekunst admit a mistake? Whether it's his own or his predecessor's. Byron Bell, I think, is looking more and more like a mistake for the Packers. He clearly can't play tackle, and the results at guard were not not much better. You could argue that Hunter Bradley is looking like a bit of a mistake. Not a lot, because pick number 239, you're within spitting distance at the end of the draft. But it's still a pick that you spent on a long snapper that may not make the team that you could have spent on something else. He's also got to deal with mistakes from his predecessor. Quentin Rollins looks like a mistake at this point. Does Gutekunst stick with him at his quasi-new position at safety? Does he move on? 
Kyler Fackrell seems like a mistake. I predicted he'd make the roster. I think he does enough good things that you keep him around, but surely the Packers would rather have had a different player in the third round if they could go back and do it all over again. We're also about to learn what Gutekunst thinks about his roster versus the rest of the league. He's got an opportunity to perhaps bring in some new blood at a couple positions here right on the doorstep of the regular season. For instance, if someone of note um, would get cut at the tackle position, you have to think that Gutekunst would be willing to make a move to shore up that spot because Kyle Murphy and Jason Spriggs have been less than spectacular. Um, I don't know if I would bank super hard on Kyle Murphy making the roster at this point, and you got to have backup tackles. You also look at the practice squad and see if Gutekunst brings in guys from elsewhere around the league to fill out the Packers practice squad, or if he just goes with 10 guys that Packers have had at camp now for a month. Thirdly, you'll also learn a lot about what the rest of the NFL thinks of Brian Gutekunst and the roster he's put together so far. Who of the 37 guys who are going to get cut this weekend are going to get claimed by another team? Who ends up out of the league altogether? That says a bit about the Packers roster. It says quite a bit about what Gutekunst has put together so far. Who else is interested in what the Packers have got? Because you know after the NFL draft, other teams are interested in the guys that the Packers end up signing. It's a competition to get them. The Packers got a few. Do those guys end up elsewhere throughout the league? You see it every every year, guys that the Packers cut end up elsewhere. People shuffle around in the league. Other teams are evaluating these players as well and have opinions on the guys that are on the Packers roster. How many, though? How many do do the rest of the, the GMs around the league actually think can play? We're about to learn this weekend, and it'll be interesting to do so. A side note to this, I want to talk a little bit about our coverage of this upcoming weekend. I realize that it is Labor Day, and uh, I think the best way for us to cover this is to wait until all the dust has settled, really sit down, sort through it, talk about the final roster. So that'll be coming early next week. Surprises, um, things that we thought were going to happen that ended up happening, which I assume will be just about everything you know, flattering myself. Uh, but we're going to wait. We're not going to do every anything over this weekend. We're just going to wait till everything is done, uh, till all the guys are signed, till all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Then we'll come on, come on, talk a little bit about the roster and see where things stand heading into week one. It's almost preview time. But the way I see it, here before the fourth and final preseason game, The Packers have four position groups that are particularly tough. And we've talked about tough position groups over the past couple weeks, but they come into focus and go out of focus as we have preseason games and things like that. So I figured it was worth taking a second and going through each of these position groups in a little bit of detail uh, as we head into this final preseason game. The Packers are at the Chiefs this Thursday night. Uh, We'll get a good look at a few of the backups, especially guys like Tim Boyle. Um... And then we'll we'll be off and running towards this final decision here. I don't really want to spend a lot of time talking about quarterbacks because of, I feel like there's not a whole lot to add to the discussion at this point. We've talked about quarterbacks quite a bit. Um, I still think that the Packers are going to keep Hundley and Kaiser. Uh, there was an interesting article by Eric Baranchek 
with PackersNews.com or however you pronounce his last name. I feel sorry for all of you who grew up Polish or have Polish last names. That's just a tough break. So many consonants where there shouldn't be consonants. But he wrote about how if the Packers don't like Kaiser and don't think he can be the number two guy, just cut him. And he made a pretty good case, I think, because if you don't if you don't think he's good enough, why cling to that mistake? If you don't think there's a chance that he could be your number two quarterback here within the relatively near future, just move on. Find another guy who can fill that role if you really don't want to keep three guys. I think that makes some sense. But I think given the control the Packers have over Kaiser over the next three years, given what his contract is at a relatively affordable price, they're going to want to keep him around because after this season, they don't have Brett Hundley. And I think Hundley has been the better quarterback so far this preseason. So I realized that I'm starting to go down this rabbit hole after I said I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it. So let's just pull the plug here and move on to the first of our four challenging position groups. You have to start with wide receiver, I think. That shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, but I think receiver is the toughest of the positions to evaluate, at least on offense, maybe on the entire roster. This is not necessarily a reflection of the quality here, because I don't think the Packers receiver position is particularly strong top to bottom. Devontae Adams is fine. He's, I mean, like he's a, a top 10 receiver in the NFL, probably, Um Randall Cobb, not obviously not what he once was. Geronimo Allison doesn't inspire great amounts of, of confidence, but so it is. Here we are at this point. But those three guys are the only guys who have roster spots locked up. I don't think the Packers will keep five like they did last year with Allison starting the season with a suspension, but I think seven would be pushing it, though I think it is possible. Uh, it's actually very possible. It's pretty easy to keep seven receivers if you want. All that to say, we're, we're looking at somewhere between three and four roster spots for five guys here. That five now includes Trevor Davis, who is not out of the picture yet. And he may not be quite so cooked as I thought. Mike McCarthy came out this week and said quite a few nice things about Trevor Davis. Um, quoting from PackersNews.com from McCarthy's press conference on on Monday, uh, if I was able to, or if I was to talk about Trevor's place on our team, I think his number one priority would be based off what he's done in the past on special teams. He's been an excellent returner, particularly coming on last year. And let's not forget, he was probably our best gunner, our most productive gunner last year. End quote. He's not blowing smoke there, and I know Davis doesn't always look like the most decisive returner, but the numbers bear that out. Uh, Over the past two years, he's one of the best punt returners in the NFL. Pro Football Focus had him as the best punt returner in the NFL last season, and he was among the leaders on the team in special teams tackles last year. He can get down the field in a hurry, and that's always a good thing to have around on special teams. If Jeff Janis can skate by on just special teams contributions for years, why should we assume anything different about Trevor Davis? Especially considering that his special teams contributions may be as good or better than Jeff Janice's. Because if Janice was just a gunner on the punt team and Davis can be a gunner and a good returner, that seems like a little bit of an edge to Davis. So maybe he's not out of the... I would tend to think that he makes a pretty serious push at the roster. Then you've got Jake Kumro's injury complicating things. They may not get one last look at him. 
And recording this on Tuesday night, we don't know all the specifics about, about whether or not he's going to play on, on Thursday or not. We're still sorting all of that out, of course. But if he doesn't play, that complicates the position battle significantly because he looked great, like a world beater for two games, and now we didn't see him in game number three. What do you do with game number four to top it all off? He is still 26 years old. And you wonder how close to his ceiling he is. That may not matter that much for this season, but for a season down the road or two seasons down the road, it does. Because you're looking for a guy who's going to grow to become something more. So I wonder. Then you've got the inconsistency from the other three guys in this race. Marquez Valdez-Scantling had a huge game in preseason week one against Tennessee, but has done very little since. Uh, I think... There are parts of Packers' internet who probably would have put him into the Hall of Fame after that first game, and it was pretty exciting. He's very, very fast, uh, but since then, not a whole lot. Uh, Jamon Moore, he looked a lot better in the last game, but drops have been a problem throughout camp, throughout all the preseason games and dating back to college. And Equinemius St. Brown has been steady, and he's lined up in a variety of positions, but you still really haven't seen that one big play that makes it look like he belongs. He did have a nice catch and run against the Titans, but where does that leave him? He, a lot like Valdez Scantling, really hasn't done a whole lot since that first game. So questions, 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 five guys, maybe looking at three, maybe four spots. To circle back to Davis just for one second, I think it is interesting that in the media teams have, or teams, Writers have referred to him almost exclusively as the team's kick returner. It's almost like in the late 90s, early 2000s, when you would have a guy get signed just to be a kick and punt returner, you almost wouldn't give him another position. Uh, think about like, you know, uh, Aaron Rossum or Roel Preston. What position were those guys? Nominally defensive backs. And I think uh, or Preston was a, was a receiver and, and Rossum was a defensive back. But they didn't do anything on offense or defense. They were just returners. And Davis almost gets talked about that same way. Janice was just a gunner. So that's that's just an interesting little tidbit there. So where did things go at receiver? I don't know, but it's going to be challenging. And it could come down to a breakout performance in this big third or fourth, excuse me, preseason game. Inside linebacker is position group number two that I think is going to be difficult for Brian Gutekunst. Um, you've got four guys here, three guys here, competing for two, probably one spot. If the Packers keep three inside linebackers, it'll just be one. Four would be a lot of inside linebackers, but who knows? It could happen, Uh, especially with a little bit of positional uncertainty with a guy like Josh Jones. He plays inside linebacker too, we have to remember. Uh, The three guys are Ahmad Thomas Greer Martini and the newly acquired Antonio Morrison. Let's talk about Morrison first and foremost, just to put a capper on our discussion um, from the last episode of the podcast should be remembered that, you know, just because he racked up a whole bunch of tackles last year, that doesn't necessarily reflect on the quality of player that he was. As we must remember, Indianapolis has not exactly been a paragon of excellence over these past couple seasons. So getting 100 tackles for them might just mean that you are the best of a bad lot and you just get a whole lot of opportunities. Blake Martinez, even, his 144 tackles or however many he had last year, may as much be a result of 
how few quality inside linebackers the Packers had as being a great player. Also has something to do with having Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark taking up a lot of blocks ahead of you, but that's an entire can of worms that I don't want to open. All that to say, let's not just look at Morrison's 100 or whatever tackles last year and say, oh, this guy's probably going to make the roster. I think it's a question of redundancy of skill sets. The Packers have a more traditional inside linebacker in Blake Martinez. So they're probably looking for only one more guy in that kind of vein. Morrison and Martini both fit that kind of vein. They're bigger, a little slower, a little thicker, not so much with the coverage types. Oren Burks, very much a coverage linebacker, athletic side to side fast. Um, And Ahmad Thomas is in that vein. So how many of each kind of guy do you want to keep? You probably don't want to have three of the big, the bigger, slower, plotting inside linebackers. If you were going to skew one way or another, you might skew towards the athletic types. And that gives Ahmad Thomas a bit of an edge. What also may give him a little bit of an edge is that Mike Penton thinks he's pretty great. Here's from Mike Penton speaking this week. Quote, he's an explosive athlete. That's what you need in the NFL to play defense. The movement skills and explosiveness trump bulk size you're looking for. You look for guys who are hybrid safety types. He's a perfect example, end quote. Yes, literally a perfect example because, as you'll remember, he was a linebacker. Or not a linebacker. He's a linebacker now. He was a safety at one point. So I think Thomas is more in line with where the NFL is going. And as a result could be the guy who gets the edge. If I was going to handicap it right now, I would probably go Martinez, Burks, Thomas, Morrison in that order. Uh, Morrison just seems so similar to Martini. It's hard to pick both of them. And if I was flipping a coin, I would go for Morrison over Martini just uh, because of experience. Flipping back to offense, running back is a bit of a mess. Uh, And Aaron Jones' suspension complicates that a little bit. Um, If the Packers are looking to keep three true running back types heading into week one, they've got some tough questions on their hands here. And that could be a big if for a couple of reasons. First, Aaron Ripkowski would be the presumed third of three backs if the Packers only keep three guys with back in their title. You would have Jamal Williams, Ty Montgomery, and Aaron Ripkowski. That makes sense. But I have seen a few people whose opinions I like and tend to agree with wondering if maybe the Packers don't finally make a break from the fullback position this year and keep somebody like Robert Tanyan instead. The reasoning being that Lance Kendricks can do a lot of things that a traditional fullback sort of does, and Aaron Ripkowski's role was already diminishing last season. It was odd, I think, that Ripkowski's role diminished last season because if you think if there's anything that could help a, a quarterback like Brett Hundley, it's a traditional power running game. You know, you line up in an I formation with a fullback who blows open a hole for your running back and away you go. That seems like that would help you a lot, but that's not how it worked out for Ripkowski. So maybe we're trending towards the end of the Ripkowski era. Maybe. Who knows? It's also possible the Packers try to just get by with two running backs and say, screw it, we'll we'll try to get by until Aaron Jones comes back. That may be a possibility. If none of those situations play out, you're looking at uh, four guys in a bit of a rock fight here 
over that third running back spot. You've got Devontae Mays, Joel Buonio, uh LaShawn Hill, and, oh, excuse me, Bronson Hill, and LaShawn Daniels. Um, all of these guys are pretty similar in body type. Well, Buonio is not, not super similar. He's tall, very tall for a running back at 6'2". But other than that, you're looking at the stocky cutoff short of guys. Devontae Mays has been hurt for a long time, but I think out of these four, he would be my pick to get that third spot just because he's a little bit more explosive of an athlete than these other guys. Brunson Hill is close, uh, but he's 10 pounds heavier. He ran a little bit faster than Mays did, uh, but he, he wasn't quite as explosive of a leaper. And if he was going to show something as an NFL player, you kind of think he would have done it by now. There is that that small, small legacy as a draft pick that Mays has that may lend him a little bit more credibility to his case. It's possible. Um, I think Mays may have the edge here if the Packers go in that direction, but we will see how things play out in this week's preseason game. It also should be pointed out that um, the other running backs that the Packers have in camp, these other guys fighting for this number three spot, have been pretty, pretty boring. Um, you really haven't seen any runs of note. I mean, Akeem Judd looked like he was in a hurry to get wherever he was going and ran with quite a bit of force, but it wasn't spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. And it was hardly anything that would make you just say, well, I got to have that guy and we got to get rid of Mays. Cornerback, finally cornerback. Uh, There's a tough call here towards the bottom of the depth chart, so it's less tough than these other position groups. But I think you've got three guys fighting for maybe one spot here. Uh, If you assume that Devon House has an edge on making a roster spot. Um, If the Packers keep five or six, uh, and if one of those guys is House, then you've got three guys fighting for one spot. Uh, I like Josh Hawkins, Quentin Rollins, and Dimitri Goodson for that spot. Now, laying aside the struggles that Rollins has had, prodigious though they have been, um, I think you can make a case for each one of these guys. Hawkins is your best athlete. Uh, and probably the best in coverage of the three. But he does have some limitations to his game, and when you say he's the best at coverage, uh, the best compared to what? Uh, The best compared to Quentin Rollins and Dimitri Goodson. Well, okay, that doesn't get you a whole lot. Goodson is the best special teamer, but he gives you practically nothing on defense, and that's fine probably for your sixth corner. You need some of those guys that just fill out special teams roles. Goodson has been that guy, and he's been pretty effective at it. Rollins is probably the most versatile of the three. He hasn't done any of these things particularly well, but he has played on the outside at corner. He's played in the slot at corner. He's done a little bit of safety, and he's lined up as that nickel linebacker type guy. Again, very little performance-wise to say, oh, I got to have that guy on my roster, but at least he can do all of these things. That counts for something. Maybe not a lot, but it counts for something. Based on that, I don't know which of these three guys that you pick. I would tend towards Hawkins just because we've seen what he can do in coverage, and at the end of the day, that's what it, that's what you need guys to do the most at corner. You can teach guys or show guys what they need to do to be effective special teams players a lot easier than you can teach them how to be great corners or even competent corners, as we've seen with Quentin Rollins over the past few seasons. 
And if I'm going to take weakness at one of those two spots, I'd rather have fewer good punt gunners than fewer good corners, if that makes sense. So for those reasons, I would probably pick Hawkins out of this group, but it's going to be, it's not a super cut and dried call. What do you think? Let us know on Facebook and on Twitter and via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We do love to hear your thoughts. And as we try to put out a few more of these podcasts, we want to hear those thoughts more frequently. We've had some great interaction with a couple people um, via Facebook messages and uh, via email over the past week or two. And I really appreciate that. Keep that coming because, as I always say, we're trying to become smarter Packers fans here. And smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we are all trying to be. That's going to do it for this week's, this time's episode, this episode in particular. We will check back with you after this week's preseason game and let you know our final prediction for this year's roster.